0: Hey, just a reminder that friend of the show and sketch card artist Ben Abusada is giving Rebel Base Card listeners 20% off sketch cards in his Etsy store. If you go to etsy.com shop ksgeekman and use the code Rebel REBELBASECARD, you'll get 20% off of sketch cards. You can find the link in the show notes. All right, let's do the show.
1: This is Tom Gross, Coffee with Kenobi News Guy, and you are listening to the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Great pull, kid. Only watch a step.
0: This place can be a little rough. You found something. You found the Rebel Base Card Podcast.
1: What a piece of junk.
0: I'm your host, Greg McLaughlin.
1: He's as clumsy as he is stupid.
0: Join me as we discuss Star Wars trading cards and card collecting. We need a statement,
1: not a manifesto.
0: We'll talk about sets from the original vintage. No, no, no. The one I'm pointing to. All the way to current releases. This? Yes. All right, let's get started. Commence primary ignition. Welcome back, or if this is your first episode, welcome aboard. My name is Greg McLaughlin, and this is the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Hailing from Naples, Florida, Daniel Riverone is a sketch card artist for Tops, Upper Deck, and Cryptozoic, as well as a middle school art teacher, husband, and father. The only way he keeps on top of things is to have great time management and artistic skills like many artists i come across his work on instagram and he showcases a very distinctive grayscale style we had a great conversation that you'll hear tonight in a few minutes but let me get a little homestead keeping out of the way first you can waste time with your friends when your chores are done now come on get to it all right i do want to keep the uh, homestead keeping notes light tonight because i want to get you into the interview, but there's a few things I just wanted to go over. Um, One is, this is episode 75, and amazingly enough, you know, I always think some of these numbers are great. Then you go look at some of the ones I subscribe to, and they're in the hundreds. And you go, okay, seventy-five. It's it's nice, but uh, you got a little work to do before you catch up to some of the others. But uh, it, it's a nice milestone to hit sometimes when you hit these numbers. And you know, at some point, you know, you kind of want to get to that podcast where you know the numbers are just there for indexing. Uh, but you're already, you know, you're already an established show, and you know, we've been going now for you know, it'll be coming up on two years in March. And so we're over that year and a half hump. Uh, We're getting towards the end of the year. Um, I know that I've got uh, some people I still need to talk to. Uh, The list just keeps on going. Um, I know that just like last year, my intentions are about mid-December last year, I kind of uh, put the brakes on a little bit to kind of enjoy the holidays. And of course, everybody else is out and about. And so sometimes like when when you're doing these, uh, around this, you know, a little later on in the year, when you're getting to the holidays, where people's schedules are a bit disruptive. I mean, all of 2020 is disruptive. What am I saying? Um, but you do kind of like, you know, people. Sometimes people are are doing holidays, and so maybe their schedule isn't so much. So you know, like towards the end of the year, uh, it's a nice little shutdown time. So you know, I'm starting to kind of tick down to the number of episodes I have before the end of the year, and then of course when we get into 2021. Um, one thing you'll notice is is that the the podcast border art, which this year was red for series, uh, for series two, the the original 1977, um, I'll be having to get to work on that actually, um, but I'm going to be going with the uh, series three, yellow border, so. So stuff that shows that we do in 2021, just kind of following along that classic 77 tops, uh, will have that flavor. So kind of excited to kind of see that as we've gotten through most of 2020. And I think like everybody else, we are really wanting 2020 to end very, very soon. Um, so once again, uh, keep safe out there, uh, do what you need to do, masks, social distancing, all that kind of stuff, uh, because we're not out of the woods yet, folks. And we've got a lot. We got a little ways of this to go, and I want to make sure that uh, all of you uh, are around next year uh, to listen to me ramble on for yet another year of the podcast. Um, recently, I had a chance to see *Empire Strikes Back* in the theaters, and you know, as I'm checking the AMC app, um, it's not as as many screens, but it's still out there. If you haven't had a chance to see it, you know, the theaters have done a great job of you know, implementing a lot of ways to keep you safe. Um, I took my daughter, we saw it, and I, there was like six people in this whole theater, and that included us. Um, you know, they, they cleaned off everything. And let me tell you, I, I, did not, I felt safe, but also it was so good not only to go back into a theater, but to see Empire Strikes Back on the big screen. And, and the last time I saw it was when the special editions came out in the late 90s. And so it's been, you know, over 20 years um since i've seen it in the theater and and one thing you know like like you um uh, i've seen empire numerous times i don't even keep count anymore but you know what i enjoy is you go back up there and you see it on a large screen and a lot of people have you know big tvs and so forth but i was seeing details that you kind of forget about and what's nice is your eyes tend to go you know to the corners to the edges and you're seeing oh there's that droid or oh, there's that creature uh oh there's you know there's it, Will Row Hood, you know, you know, running with the uh, running with the ice cream uh, maker, and some of the things you just kind of enjoy, and you know, Empire, of course, you know, when George Lucas went back and did the special editions, you know, it, it didn't get as much uh, treatment as Star Wars had. So there's a little, you know, although there's a lot of Bestman and so forth that was done, and I'm I'm very happy with it. Uh, I I don't really have too much of a problem with Empire. But, you know, to see some of those scenes again, from the battles on Hoth um, to enjoying the time, you know, Luke and Yoda, um, the asteroid field, you know, chase, you know, watching Darth Vader, all those classic lines. uh, It was so enjoyable. Um, And what was funny is the uh, AMC, my AMC still had some of those, the Rise of Skywalker, you know, R2-D2 popcorn tin and, you know, uh, drink holder Uh, is a huge piece of plastic it's about. Uh, at least two feet tall and you know r2's lid was the you know was the place you could put a drink and there was a room for a straw there if you wanted to do and the the body of r2 d2 was a place you could uh, put popcorn and he has a little back compartment you can reach in there um you know like a good collector i i had the popcorn it was part of a it was part of a combo and you know, it was like 30 bucks and i i think someone reminded me on on either Instagram or Twitter, that when it came out I think it was $50. And so $30, I, you know, for $50, I was like, no, I can't, I can't bring this big hunk of plastic home. My wife is going to kill me. For $30, I made, a, I made a compromise with myself going, all right, we're just going to have to hide this somewhere. So shh, keep it quiet. Um, but, you know, it was fun to kind of sit there and, you know, we just enjoyed the show. It was fun picking up a, a huge collectible that I, I did find a space for in my kid's room. Uh, which is where all the toys go to, and cards went to hide for a while, uh, until they, they learn to clean up the room, then, then Daddy's in a lot of trouble because he's got to find another place for this stuff. So that, that's, that's the, the burden of all Jedi Masters and collectors uh, at any rate. But uh, if you get a chance to see it, do yourself a favor. Go, go see it. I do not think you will uh, regret going. I think you're going to be safe. You know you, Everybody's got to wear a mask in there, but it, it, I, the, the, the theaters need help. Help right now, and uh, I th- you know at the very least, and I think it was like five bucks a ticket. So I mean, like, come on, uh, do yourself a favor, go see it while it's still out there. Whether you're doing drive-ins, whether you're doing theaters, enjoy Empire Strikes Back. Enjoy seeing that the huge screen and all the sounds and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you you won't regret it. Um, of course, we have Mandalorian season one cards that are coming as we get closer and closer to the debut of season two of the Mandalorian on October thirtieth. And the cards are set to come out on the 4th. Uh, Most places are still out of the pre-orders. I do need to check back because I did do a pre-order of some blaster boxes from Steel City Collectibles. Uh, Can't wait to see those cards. And also can't wait to see what the uh, Star Wars card trader is doing for the Mandalorian. And if they're also going to do the weekly sets on Tops Online. I'm already in for the living set and Chris Penix has been still killing it. I think he's up to like 150 now. what a great set and, you know, definitely a way to, uh, if you can save up some lunch money, those living set cards, uh, you won't regret them. Those are also, he's just been killing it. And what a great set that's turning out to be. Um, speaking of card trader, a couple items. Um, Mark and Gabby on the DigiCast just a couple days ago, um, they released an article that they are, You know, one of the things if you've been in Star Wars card trader for a while, you've probably heard about monuments. And if you haven't heard about monuments, you certainly have heard people or seen people in the feed talk about hoarding a character. This is where you um, are collecting a certain character from a certain set. Uh, you know, like if you hear me talk, I I hoard Commander Pyre, and I am not on the level of some of these hoarders where they go out and they actively are searching for people and they will trade X amount, and they'll try to get as many of the cards of that person as possible. And one of the reasons, and it was something that kind of grew, um, Organically within the app, years ago, where people were just kind of collecting as many of a particular card as they can, is that there was uh, there's been on and off monument chases where if you got X number of cards, you could turn them in and get a card, and uh, it would have your username on it. It's a monument card it'd be unique. So basically, you get in the app with a unique card. Um, I know that there's been a lot since the the new bills have come out. Um, you know, and there, there was some changes in in tops folks. You know this this topic has come up a lot. Where okay, how are we gonna handle monuments? Winter monuments coming back. Monuments, monuments, monuments. Um, so during the digicast, and they do this on Twitch, they'll announce times uh, in the Star Wars Card Trader app news when they go on the digicast. Um, I subscribe to Twitch to their Twitch channel and get the notifications, um, so I can see when they go live. And I just happened to catch this one where they were talking about they release the new stats or the new stat requirements for monuments uh, for next year, and I think some for this year as well. Um, I recommend going into the Card Trader app and reading, uh, but the, the, the big line is is that they did increase the number based on the cards that were already out there. So you're probably looking at 20,000, like the the tier one type cards, and that's kind of the beginning. And so it looks like you're going to have to collect Um, A certain number of each of those tiers of a particular card in order to do the workshop meld for a monument. And I think the workshop, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'll have to go back to the article, I think that comes out in, in, uh, in the first part of next year where they're going to have the, the whole mechanism to meld a hoard. So if that's something you like, and I know one of the nice things about Star Wars Card Trader is that you can kind of collect, just like in, in the physical world, you can collect many different ways. And some people are really serious about hoarding, and you can always, uh, one of the, the podcasts I, I do enjoy listening to is The Hordecast, uh, where they do, uh, those folks are all about the hoarding. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a different way to play, but it's fun, and I think it kind of keeps things going. So when a new base series comes out, Uh, For those of you who might be interesting in this kind of chase, uh, that's a good time to get in. Uh, You can always take a character and just try to hoard as much as you can. Uh, But I would say when a new base series comes out, and we can't be that far away from uh, next year's base, uh, usually because it comes out around this time. I know we were in, like, Wave 2 and I think I'm just about done with some of the lower tiers. I know there's been some variants come out, and some of them i some of I get some. I haven't been that serious about it just because there's other things, including that Return of the Jedi, uh, the physical set that was in there, and so I've been collecting that digitally. And so, some of the other ones, there's been some good sets, um, and so the, the Dual Perspectives has been really nice, and the Armored and Ready. And so forth. So if you're not in there, I'm in there as cornfedtech. I know that say that a lot. And uh, if you're on Twitter, uh, Card Squadron uh, is a hashtag I use. And there's a group of folks that are also in the app. And uh, we are uh, a good group of folks that uh, do some healthy trading. So if it's something you've been wanting to check out, Star Wars Card Trader is fun. Uh, There is a free to play aspect to it. Um, Some of us get in a little deeper. Uh, But you can still do free-to-play, and especially if you have folks to trade with, makes it a lot funner. And uh, I invite you to join us. We have a blast. And uh, some some shout-outs to the rest of the card squadron out there. Uh, You guys make it fun for me. So uh, more power to you, and uh, good luck on your polls. I think that takes care of all the homestead keeping I wanted to do tonight. So let's get into the interview, and I'll catch you on the other side. If they don't go for this, we're gonna have to get out of here pretty quick, Chewie. If I'm saying Riveron, am I saying that right?
1: Yeah, that's a way to say it. Um, Riveron. <laughs> no, I've I've gotten Riveron, I've gotten Riveron, I've got Rivero before. What is, were, what is it? What is it? Riveron. In Spanish, is r- Riveron, but I don't ever get that. <laughs> I only get that with my grandparents. But yeah, I have a I have a Cuban background. So my parents and my grandparents are from Cuba. I'm the first of my family born in the states. Oh my and gosh! Of course, so the, the, of course that you know I have the heaviest you know accent in terms of you know English of trying to go to. So when I talk Spanish, it sounds like a like someone that's never talked Spanish before trying to speak Spanish. That's that's how they make fun of me for it. Uh, the, the The irony is that my grandfather's been in this country over 50 years now. And he hasn't even tried to learn English, but yet it's disrespectful for me to not speak Spanish appropriately. So it, it, we we get into those kind of like not arguments, but you know I say my point, then he says his point, and then it's dropped.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: <laughs> he, just so, turned, he just turned ninety Tuesday.
0: So he would have been of that Cuban generation that left Cuba for that particular reason, right?
1: He left knowing it wasn't going to be well, and he he got. And he came, he didn't come like a, by a boat, like all everyone's, he actually got a visa and then got a work visa and was working for a full year. Uh, I, I think two years before he got his citizenship. And then since my dad was also born in Cuba, he got a citizenship the same time that his parents got citizenship. Uh-huh. So, so they, it was a different, now it's harder to get, but back then it wasn't as hard. Um, so they got it pretty quickly and they've been here ever since. But it was all in Miami. And then by the, 1989 is when I was born in Miami, so we moved here to Naples. Uh, my dad saw it as a place that's growing and uh, that's going to flourish, and uh, he, he wanted to start a business here. And, and sure enough, he started his business here, and, and we haven't left since. So it's, it's, I like Naples. It's one of those black holes is what I call it. You will leave Naples, but you always end up coming right back. <laughs> <laughs> like a whirlpool, just, yeah, you can go as far as you want. Eventually, you can't find anything better, and you come right back here.
0: What did your uh, grandfather do when he got to the States for work? Oh, he was
1: a driver. Yeah, he, he worked for a trucking company, dispatching. Uh, so he would be the guy that the dispatch would call him, hey, go to Tampa, pick up a load, and bring it back to Miami for a building. You know, So he's one of those. And then my dad saw that growing up, liked it, learned it, and he got his GED from high school, got married young, had me, and then started working for his father in those uh, companies, then learned enough to start a company here in Naples uh, in, in 1990, and then went from there. Oh, wow. he, still, he still works. My dad's, my dad's one of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. Uh, he would wake up at 4 in the morning because truck drivers have to get up early to get to a certain location and back in time. So 4 in the morning, he was up every morning, and and I wouldn't see him until like almost nine, ten o'clock at night every day. Uh, for a brief period. So it was like, uh, the I guess the time that I can remember as a kid, four or five-ish around there, uh, I wouldn't see my dad all day except for the, you know, Sunday because he didn't work Sundays. And then uh, by the time I was 15, now he's, he's now becoming a dispatcher where he's not driving the truck. He's telling people where to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, he'd started up at least two or three companies until he said, finally, he's like, I'm done. He's watching the grandkids. Now he's, he's, you know, uh, he had my kids for a couple years with my, with my mom. And then now it's there with my in-laws while my sister has a kid and they're watching him, uh, you know, during, while we're at work. So we got, we got lucky in the sense that we have someone to watch the kids. Instead of paying these astronomical numbers at these day- daycare places, and um, and they're savvy enough because my mother-in-law, she used to be a teacher in Carly County Public Schools as well. She just retired. So what better way to have our kids doing online schooling than with her? Um, so she'll do a little bit with them in the morning, then we take over when we get them at night for this uh, COVID crisis. Oh, and it's been, we got really lucky. Uh, and it's been you know a blessing to have my in-laws about, I'd say about seven minutes away from our house. And then my parents, right, hey, you're going to love this. One. Have you ever seen Everyone Loves Raymond? Yeah. My parents are literally across the street. I can walk to them. And then next door is my grandfather.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Four houses down from them to the – if you're facing them to the right, it's my sister. We're all in the same – the only ones that's not in our street is our in-laws, <laughs> my in-laws. They're they're, they're not in our commune, if you know what I mean.
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny.
1: But uh, they, they – we on my way to work, since I work about six minutes away, I drop the girls off at my in-laws, and then I just head to work. About you know, from them, from their house is about two minutes from their house. So all our school districts are. If you find a place to live and you can get into a school that's close to your house, it's 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 a breeze over here. Now, if I'm here in my where I'm at in the estates, and I have to go all the way to Mockley or or to Manatee or something, like that, now we're talking like a forty-five minute you know drive or anything like that. But my wife, her job is literally two minutes away from here and so she she goes to her school there and and now that once the COVID crisis is done she will be able to take both kids because now one's in kinder, the other's in first take them with her and then the grandparents take finally get their break
0: <laughs> oh that's awesome that's awesome
1: uh, we got we locked out man uh, it, it's a blessing for sure how long have you been an art teacher Uh this will be my seventh year total
0: okay Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming you went to school for art and or, and or teaching or is this just you were assigned like you're going to be the art teacher?
1: No, um, I, I, one of those things I've been in the district, honestly, 19 years total. I started when I was 17 and then I've been with it ever since and I try to work my way up money wise. And then finally I just got my degree in whatever, like I got it in communications, honestly, and, um, in Florida, you can be a teacher as long as you get a degree in something and then take the tests. So my first option was art because I always, I've always enjoyed art history and I've always enjoyed drawing in class and and uh, I read I read a lot of comic books and you know so was, I was a typical geek in school but uh, it was like a hidden geek like not a lot of people knew that I had like a plethora of comic books in my <laughs> house. Um, it was only like like let's say a day camp came over it's like. You have a lot of comic books, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but I went in that direction. I was actually because of my principal at the time that I was working with. He told me that he went the back way, and I did the same thing. And I ended up uh, becoming a teacher within two and a half years. I got my degree in two and a half years through a private school here. And that was it. Oh, that's cool. Nothing that, that really special. I mean, I didn't. I don't have like a huge art background, sorry. Except for the fact that I'm a huge fan and. I've been drawing ever since. Now, the story of how I started drawing for these companies is my students, actually. One of my kids went to uh, a comic convention, Florida Supercon. That happens in Miami in July every year, except for this past year. Uh, I think they even changed the schedule for last year to be in June uh, during this COVID crisis. One of the kids went there, and I've been drawing sketch cards in my classroom, giving them as prizes. Oh, that's right. This is like... I'd say about four years ago. And one of those kids kept my drawings and they took it with them to a convention to get someone to sign it for them because one of those comic creators that are there. And uh, she came back and she's like, you know, you can draw better than some of those people that are there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, no, thank you, but no. And, and they kept pressing Then She told her friends and those kids kind of banded together to uh, kind of like, you should sign up. Here's the website to sign up for... <laughs> And next thing you know, and I said, if you you know, do you work, you know, and and I want your best work, you give me your best work, then I'll, I'll, I'll sign up. Uh, and within like three months, they gave me their work. Fantastic. I had to make a banner. I had to make, (laughs) I had, I had, I went into full like artist mode for like two months straight drawing a new piece every, you know, every day. And that's including sketch cards. I had a book this thick full of sketch cards at that point. I had, uh, paintings and nine by 12s in my style. I was—I really figured out my style at that point because I got tired of uh, uh, cutting with exacto knives. Because I used to spray paint like graffiti work, and I really got tired with the cutting. Hold on, honey. Um, I, that's my daughter. <laughs> I was Tired with um cutting everything. I said, "Oh, I wonder if I could just draw it instead." And then that's how it started from there. And these are all the nine by twelves that I've been. Whoa. Honey, and, and, and I still every day been doing it and now that I'm contracted with tops and stuff it's more like I do that work and then I do stuff for me and I sell those on the side and I've been doing it ever since I went to every convention ever since then I I kind of got the bug and uh, so I go and I have a great time and I, I even do some local stuff here and, and then but the last two and a half years have been really busy with tops upper deck and so it's, it's one of those things that, and they're, and they're all different too, which is great because Tops they want likenesses. And that's my thing. I like likenesses. And Upper Deck, they don't want, like, they want it comic book versions. Mm. So they don't, they don't, I guess they don't have the rights. And I, I still don't understand how they don't have the rights to likenesses, but yet Tops does because they're all under Disney at some point. They're under this under Disney.
0: I've heard that on the uh, Marvel Card Collectors podcast where they talk about likenesses versus just the characters themselves. And so, yeah, it is sort of an interesting um, yeah, minefield to kind of walk around because I think after a while you start to see Tony Stark as, you know, Robert Downey Jr. And so if you are doing or something along those lines where you're just like, oh, so it's probably hard not to. You're probably like, well, I got to go back to the comic books now and, and kind of do yeah.
1: that. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's actually good for me because then it takes me away from likenesses for a little bit. And then I get really into art, so it's purely original. If I, if I look at references, just see what the costume looks like, and um, and then go from there. So it, 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 references for likenesses are easy to find, and then to get approval from tops, you know, sometimes they send us some references, uh, especially Cryptozoic. Cryptozoic gave me like a file, like 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 this big for their last line, which I don't, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say what they're releasing yet. But uh, I finished that set. Uh, two weeks ago, and uh, and now right after I finished that set, then Tops came back with another one. So everyone knows that Masterworks are now available. So I'm working on these now. And it's just constant work. So it's every like I, I feel like I get like a gap in between where it's like two or three months, and then all of a sudden I get one. And then after I sign one contract, then it's like two weeks later, another contract, then another contract, then another contract. So it, it, it works that way, and it depends on the time of the year, too so it's always slow for me january to march and then also sudden march picks up and then uh june i'll ha- by june in the summer i'll get two sets and then it really gets heavy right before halloween for some reason this time of the year i'll will have like i finished a mandalorian set um i finished a, a star wars set before that mm-hmm. i finished the zoic set and now i'm working on master card and i just got a I signed a contract for Upper Deck for their latest set that's coming out. Uh, uh, well, we're our deadlines in March, but I don't know. Usually when I send the cards in by the deadline, usually about 2 or 3 months until they actually release the set.
0: Yeah, so, I was going to say I know Upper Deck and and their sets especially on their Marvel sets, you know, they have a completely different timeline than yeah. Tops and so like a product you know, and I'll like I said, I defer to the Marvel Card Collectors podcast, which you know I at some point, if you haven't been on already, you should be on. Um, yeah, like a set, like a 2017, like you'll see on 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 their on their EPAC, like their what their 2017 like annual or it, th- some <laughs> of that stuff is still current, as opposed to like Tops, which will do half a dozen seven sets a year. But it's like you go from boom boom, like we were, you know, we we should actually have been in uh, Holocron that was the last one that should have been out but really chrome legacy was there but once we you know in a couple of weeks when we're getting into mandalorian then you know you know chrome perspectives will be old hat and then holocron comes afterwards and it's going to drop theoretically about the same time that masterwork does yeah but you know if you you know if, if you've worked on masterwork before you're talking about completely different kinds of sets you just you were showing you know there's a the i've seen also um rodney roberts was sh- was showing like some of the blanks and you could see like you have the booklet type and mm-hmm. the bifolds or if you had trifolds or something like that so you've got this you know you've got this interesting mix but you know a lot of those ones on the autograph side for masterwork are autograph on cards and yeah. thicker cards so you've got a different card stock so you know it's built for a much higher end collector and it, and it will cost appropriately so correct uh, um Thanks. so i think you have to say like you know when you're going into each each set you have a lot of different factors to think about mm-hmm.
1: um so far my, my favorite card stock uh between any of the companies is is been tops masterworks and <clears throat> cryptozoic because they're they're the thicker set and they actually hold watercolor very well in some of those um, whereas uh everything else is just so thin um so i i feel like that that for me personally, I felt like to get to master. This is my first masterwork set. I felt like I had to prove to myself to get mm-hmm. to that level uh, in terms of likenesses, because that's what they're really looking for in these sets. Uh, I've missed out on the black and white ones. I would have loved to do, do that one, but it's, it's almost like they they're, they pick and choose based off what comes in, and then they say, "Oh yeah, this person will work good for this. This person will work good for that." But communication between me and them is, you know, the only communication I get. You ready for this set? Yes or no, and then <laughs> <laughs> yes or no, and that's it. And, um, communication with Upper Deck, same thing. Cryptozork was the only one that I would actually send messages, and they would respond uh, with with answers, which was nice because they only do like four. I think I heard four sets in the whole year, if that. So, with that, I guess that they have time to communicate with all their artists at that point, whereas Tops forget it, uh, Upper Deck forget it. I just. If I want to get the job, I'll say yes. They'll send it to me. I ship it back. Um, but it, it's been a great role when I get to show my kids, you know, like I can't draw that in front of them because I feel like I'm gonna break the NDA if I do that. But I, but I get so tempted because I want to get them done and I can do my work while they're doing their paintings and things. And uh, but you know, sometimes I can like you know, if you guys don't say anything, here's a quick, you know, I do like a quick flash and then. <laughs>
0: And it has to also be, I think, and not necessarily playing favorites of, you know, brands, but I have to think, and I don't talk a lot about, you know, like, say, you know, Cryptozoic or Upper Deck or Rittenhouse or whoever is, you know, I think the art directors and the producers behind those sets, you know, they they are kind of, you know, I think probably the better, have a better idea of how they're crafting, you know, because crafting the artists you know, or selecting the pool of artists for the set. Now, granted, there's going to be a, there's going to be a percentage that that person is not available or that person, you know, but right. I have to think that if you, if i if I'm an art director and I really kind of know my snuff, then I can kind of go, well, this set probably, you know, the characters who I have in my head probably oh. lend themselves to, you know, artists, you know, 12 through 36, as opposed to this one who he, this person does probably a better job at this one and that one i have to think that, that yeah. that's how the process goes
1: do you collect them do you do you actually have a nice set like a collection of, of the cards
0: i started collecting again back in 2015 with the the journey to uh journey to the force awakens cards and i have, i still i i joke i have like i start off with one binder and then now i have about 20 i've actually started archiving <laughs> it's the sketch cards that have come to mend the greatest um, you know education for me because you start off and I'm like I, you, know, you know I'm thinking like oh autographs because when I first started collecting there were no autographs and then you kind of go mm-hmm. oh that's, that's what, you, what you want like what is a sketch card business and then afterwards you start going into oh wow these are harder to find these are you know and, and you see how they have progressed from turn of the millennium where you know some of the early ones are literally are just sketches and now I think that most folks I talk to they, they prefer and it's very appropriate to call them art cards yes um, i've only really pulled one i have bought a few but i've only really pulled one that was a kelly baber uh i, I did a show you know back earlier part of the year when i pulled one of his uh trifold ones and oh, then man. and then sold it to a friend of his who was a big collector of those mac who was a big collector of his of, of Baber's work i'm like that's not mine it's yours but um so yeah, I think, and and some of the, my friends online who are collectors, you know, it's the sketch sketch cards really that are the the hard sought ones.
1: Yeah, I've never pulled one. I, I what's great about being in the sketch card community is that every one of them, unless they're extremely busy, are so friendly, so friendly. I, I can name two guys right now. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have even gotten into Upper Deck. Uh, Mike Sealy, yeah, he's an Upper Deck artist. And um, and Nostrate, uh, Nostratep Art, which is uh, Peterson spelt backwards. Yeah, he's done few sketch cards for uh, Cryptozoic and Upper Deck, and those guys are the ones. Like I met them in conventions. They put they like here, call these people and email these people. And uh, but in terms of getting the cards themselves, opening them a pack, I we just trade. I actually trade with those artists, and that's why they're so nice and why I enjoy the community. My my sketchbook uh, sketch card collection of other artists. It's just, it's this thick now because of the last three years of just trading, you know, my work for their work and things like that. And it's been fantastic. And I, I, I haven't bought a pack in years and, and I've always wanted to buy one and, and have that dream to open. And one of mine is in there, but the odds of that is, <laughs> it's hard just to find one. Imagine trying to find mine. I find more of mine on eBay than I would, you know, in a pack and, and you know, but uh, the collections, like, I, I was collecting autographs before I did all this, too. Um, I was one of those through-the-mail autograph collectors mm. where I see if I get lucky and they sign it. And the only problem with that is you don't know if it's them or their secretary that, <laughs> that signs them. So it's like, uh, you know, so I stopped doing that a while ago. And then all of a sudden, this just boomed with the sketch cards. And, and I just continued with that. And I, I love it. Like, I, I, now I've now I never had this in my desk before. It's just like an arts studio on my desk uh i have an art studio my work and it's it's it, it, it takes up the, the it makes the day go by fast which is nice especially when you're a teacher and you got you know 25 kids or close to 30 kids in one sitting and you know every period and you gotta have that classroom management but they want to they're, they're interested in what you're doing so when i do these 9x12 paintings and things like that yeah they, they all actually just sit there and watch me paint i have it on a overhead and let's say if we're doing like greek art you know ancient roman and greek art i'll do the same work with them and they see my process and then they're learning from me ask me questions of why i'm doing this and why am i thinking about doing this and then next thing you know i look at theirs and they come up with stuff completely backwards from mine but looks better than mine (laughs) it's it's, it's, it's just one of those things that if it wasn't for the sketch card artwork uh, my job as an art teacher even though it's great it wouldn't be as fun, I think, because it brings out the best in me and it brings out the best in my students, too. Especially for the sets that, like, I print my own cards, you know, for Mm -hmm. the sake of selling my own work. And it it really started out as me, like, doing uh, uh, portraits for other people and their families. And then sometimes I get the occasional, like, can you draw Spider-Man? Like, I don't know if I could do that and sell that. You know, I don't want to get in trouble. But I I created my own, um, for the conventions as well, so I get I made something like this. So I I draw these for the kids on these simple cardstock, and they'll they'll like let's say for an essential question of the day, I ask questions every day, you know, about the specific subject. on. and Mr. Irvine, can you you know they'll get the answer right? and Can you draw this for me? And, I, and since it's free, I just draw whatever they want me to draw for free, um, because it's it's my students and they they're worth it. You know, if, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be in this, you know, industry with the cards.
0: That that brings up an interesting side question. Um, whereas I, I think maybe an art maybe an art teacher or say a music teacher where students can physically see the chops, right? Uh as yeah. opposed to let's say an English an English or a history teacher, it maybe math too, where you know, like an English or history teacher, you know, you have to, you tell them, I have read X, Y, and Z, but kids can't see you read, you know, they're not, they but they can, they can literally see you do this. And I think that really, for the kids who really are, are wanting to, or are into it, that mm-hmm. just must, that, that really sort of, um, must just bridge a gap that you're, you you, that other teachers maybe not have.
1: I never had an art teacher that I maybe have, I think I had one, but she would paint. Like she'll start and we never see her going through the process. And then the next day we come back in class and it's done. And I never really see the person work. So I never had an art teacher that would actually show me step by step. And that actually bothered me as a student. And uh, even in college, when I took, I did take college courses. I did, you know, just to have that, you know, that fun part for me in college. I, I took, you know, three courses in art and a figure drawing as well. And even those teachers didn't even show us their process. So it's like, I always thought that as a teacher, I need to show my students how at least I do it. And if they could pick up at least a little bit and then put it into their work, then I did my job. You know, it's very important to me that, that they see it. And if they don't see it, then I feel like I'm not doing anything for them. You know, they could, it's almost like being like you said in math, you know, yeah, kids can get it, but are they going to retain it? You know, like, I mean, I I still have a hard time doing Pythagorean theorem. My, you know, out of the top of my head, I just these kids are coming in, they're doing it now, but they're gonna lose it by the time they walk out of that door and going into summer break. You know, it's, it's one of those things that at least that if I draw and then they get a chance to keep it, that's yeah. that's the cool thing. Like they, it's I don't want to, I don't sell to the kids. They just, they, you know, they they just and they get a roll. Like I have like a whole table full of them. You know, like I, I'll have a little brief moment. I'll draw a five-minute quick sketch, and I'll work in like a like a pace that I work at a comic convention. I don't know if you've seen uh, Jim Lee how quick he draws his Sharpie pens and all that. Same thing. Answer the question. Pick what you want, or ask me what. You want. But
0: yeah, when when you're saying basically that, you know, kids can see kids can see kids can see the work. Kids can see you go through the work. Um, but also I'm wondering. In, in recent events, not to drag too much into it, but how much school time have you had during this during these pandemic months?
1: So I started we, we started almost a month late. So it, like we had the, the, the heads up, you know the district um, uh, supervisors uh, decided to extend the start date of our, our, of our district. So it was about a month. And then from there, uh, they were going through the CDC guidelines based off of what our state was going through. Uh, So there were three options. So they had a choice to come to school or uh, do online while blended with classes. So there will be a teacher with kids plus online kids at the same time, which that's very difficult. You know, I'm I'm asynchronous. So I, I have students live with me. But my kids uh, online, they don't have to sign in at the same time uh, as my live student. They they go in since I'm an elective, they can go in anytime as long as they get the work in by eleven fifty nine p.m. before the next day. So, and that and that even that is a struggle. Um, uh, I, I have about close to hundred and seventy kids, so we have to make sure that we micromanage all that. And then the third option is they do a direct online class through our online district schooling that we have here. So they have their choices and it's great to have the choices, honestly. I'd, I'd rather be in the classroom, honestly, um, even though I, I'm a high risk as well. I'm a type one diabetic. Hmm. So I wear an insulin pump right here. So I have to watch. I, I had to build my own <laughs> acrylic glass thing on my desk. <laughs> So they see me, but it's like a piece of glass is separating between me and the kids. Um, I don't like it because uh, I don't get to walk around and see their work as much. And we're not passing things out. And in terms of them, me grading their work, they're literally sending it to me through the online uh, courses that we have. So I get it digitally. So I, when I grade, I'm looking through my phone and grading all the work through my phone. And then I have my computers to actually match all the grades. It takes longer to grade, but it's better for me in terms of being, you know, not being in contact physically with the students.
0: How uh, Outside of the logistics of what you just described, though, how have you kind of – how have you changed or what, what things have you noticed that you could change that still kind of gets through to them or gets the, the root to the message of what yeah. you're trying to – like. Put them along on, or you're trying to bring them along on. How, how have you kind of tweaked that a bit?
1: Just making the the, the content exciting. Uh, as long as I have strong classroom management, the thing is online, I can't control as well, obviously, in the classroom because they don't see me. So I made sure that it's a structured, you know, schedule that I have. They'll ha- they'll average about two assignments a week because it takes three days to get one assignment done, maybe two at the at the least, and then a, a quiz per assignment. And then I give them a specific due date, and then, you know, I, I get at least, uh, I don't know the exact percentage, but it's up past in the 60s. You know, not all of them, you know, make it on time. Sometimes they, they have technical issues too, so I have to be lenient with those kids at home. But in class, I have my, my classroom management set. Uh, I learned early on working through the schools before I became a teacher that I got to be, you know, all of these kids, you know, it's good time to be for fun, but, you know, When you give a kid an inch, (laughs) they'll take a they'll take three or four miles. Uh, I'm I'm a strict uh, like I I have a great classroom management, and I I think that's through my years because I used to coach sports as well. Okay, Uh, uh, I coached. uh, I was one of the our district's small. So, or our our county's big, but our district was small, and we didn't really have middle school sports. So I'm a middle school teacher, Uh, and uh, our district never really made schedules you know it's usually like you know traveling teams or or AAU teams so i i learned uh when, when we started actually middle school sports i was one of the first coaches and i learned at that point especially when i had a group of 120 kids for track track and field that i better you know have some you know some strictness or some stones to you know hold off 120 kids at once and and the best athletes of the school uh, at that point, so it's like uh, I learned from that. If it wasn't that, that was my lessons. My wife, she went to school and and did the you know the tutors with teaching. She did that where I learned basically by coaching. So I, I learned there that if you know they respect you more if you're not too loosey goosey, is is what I feel. And and make it interesting. You know, if if I want to talk about the Renaissance art, I got to make it worth their while i gotta tell them who my favorite artist is and why and and show them the work to to prove why you know and same thing goes for any time period because i'm teaching art history now and then art 2d you know we start basics and then 3d we work with clay and things like that so we um we and, I, and then we start that process over and it's like a wheel so then i go to if i start 2d then 3d then history then it'll start over again so i don't have so the kids aren't taking the same class over and over again and what's nice about my school is that I get to teach year-round with the same kids, whereas other schools, it's semester. So I, it's like half the year. With a full year, they get so much more out of me. Like, I'm like it's i just, you know, giving them so much information and, and a good digestible chunk so that it, it doesn't feel rushed. Mm-hmm. So I can work with Renaissance and be with it for like two and a half to three weeks instead of three days if I was with a semester course. So... I, and I think the kids see that, too. They, they, they know a confident teacher when they see one. And, and you know, the, the new ones that come in that aren't so confident, oh, they'll they'll run straight to the ground pretty much. And, um, and the kids know. That's the one thing that everyone thinks. Oh, they're just kids. They can't. No, they know. They know. Um, and, I, and I love it so much because they, they challenge me every day. Every day, so I, And I learn something new every day with those kids, too, because uh, if I make a mistake in my artwork, and I see it, and the kid's like, but that looks good. Really? You think so? And then I'll try it again. <laughs> and then, sure enough, it, it actually works with what I'm trying to show them with what we're teaching them. So, you know, it, it's, it's fun. And then, you know, I do fun things with them. I do magic tricks and stuff for them for prizes and drawings and, you know, play music. And we have, like, our end-of-the-week, you know, thing where I ask questions for more prizes and things like that. So I, I try to make it interesting. I don't want it to be too boring in that class. They only have you for 45 minutes at a time. So, yeah. Do you think it's good or bad? Um,
0: what do you, it, The fact that you are making an income from your art, mm-hmm. how do you think that impacts the kids as far as taking their work, your work, seriously as, as I, an art I, teacher?
1: To me, I think that's very important. If I had a successful art teacher, you know, making money as an artist, like purely based off of their work. Now, I'm in a gray area. I'm drawing licensed characters. So what's good about this, I have to teach them, look, I'm allowed to draw these because I'm on contract. I cannot sell these legally. If I were to just draw and then make money off of Spider-Man, Marvel and Disney will come at me. And there's nothing worse than a, ma- a mad Mickey Mouse. So, you know, I, I do tell them these things to let them know that, Look, look, the, the reason why I can is because I worked hard to get to it. And now I'm able to draw the characters I know and love. But um, if, I, if I'm successful art teacher and they see me and I can tell them, look, this is what I'm charging. I, I will tell them what I'm charging. I'm not going to lie to the kids. I'm just going to tell them, this is what I'm charging for my, 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 my 9x12s. And people are actually paying for that. And they see that I'm successful with that and it makes them, I feel like their drive to continue to art, to do art much more because I didn't have that growing up and I'm in my mid thirties now and now I'm starting. If I would have had an art teacher like that when I was younger, I would have started way back, you know, before I even got into the district. So it's, it's one of those things that shoulda, woulda, coulda, you know.
0: Well, let's, let's talk about that. What, what uh, Going back, what are some of your influences
1: growing up then? Well, in terms of art, if we talk about art, I, I was always, I wasn't a history buff, but for some reason I was a history buff with art. And, you know, the Renaissance were my big Renaissance. And then maybe French Impressionism, mm-hmm. because it, the idea of dots to look like something, you know, like up close to, you know, it's, looks like a mess but far away wow it's amazing you know those kind of things were my inspiration and then obviously the comic books you know uh actually i wasn't a big reader so mine were comic books and graphic novels so i i get the stories by looking at the images and then the 90s had one of the greatest comic book artists of all time i mean and then they four of them defected from a major comic book company five of them to create their own comic book company. I mean, you, I there's no stories back then except for that in the 90s. You know, it's just like that happened and then now they're doing their own thing and making, you know, being very successful with what they're doing. Um, you know, so when you're a 90s baby, 80s baby, and you see progression with art in that direction, it, th- those were my motivations. You know, Jim Lee's, uh, uh, Jay Scott Campbell, you know, they, they've all made a name for themselves through their specific and unique style of art and i just love every bit of it and those were my inspirations really uh movies are a big one too um who who's not a star wars fan you know like it's very rare to find one that's i don't going to be honest with you when i find one it's like why give me the reasons why <laughs> and then uh, i now understand i'm not going to argue with you i'll understand <laughs> so you know those were my influences movies comics you know uh even I, I had a, even a few Bible comic books, you know, you know, my parents, they wanted me to be religious and just, I am to an extent. And then they sent me like this, you know, comic books, but in Bible because they know I'm not going to read the Bible. So they'll give it to me in a, in a graphic novel format. And even those had great artwork and made me want to read the stories. So it's one of those things that my ADHD kicks in and I get too bored and then I just won't read. So then graphic novels just. Every page is a surprise. And uh, and in this industry, uh, knowing those artists, because I actually didn't just read the stories. I looked at who drew the, the work as well. And getting to meet them in the conventions is just... One of my favorites to meet was uh, Tom Grummet. Uh, he did The Death of Superman and The Return of Superman. And obviously stories before that. And then when I heard the story about why they killed Superman, <laughs> I was just like you know and then talking to him about it when he was so nice enough just to talk to a random guy about you know the death of superman the return of superman it's just it's just it made that made me go on cloud 9 and made me uh understand why i love this part of the art industry so much especially for you know graphic novels and comic books but those are my inspirations you know i'm not going to lie and say that you know give you a few names here and there and that's it no i actually have you know books here of just all artwork from jim lee from uh jay scott campbell's i have everything here and they're, they're my references pretty much and i go back and see their mistakes and learn from their mistakes because they'll tell you their mistakes and uh and and then i try to implement a little bit of their work. there's a little bit of jim lee in my work and a little bit of um uh, uh, Tom Grummet in my work with their with their feathering techniques. So it's not just an inspiration, it's more like a like a it's like my comic book Bible to get the kind of work that I want out. You know what I mean? So
0: you kinda of bring up a pact and I kinda of, yeah, I remember the time when um it was image comics that mm-hmm. when they kind of when and McFarlane and and, and company kinda of left and I think although artists had been going back and forth between DC and Marvel for years, I think it was an interesting it's an interesting start to where people would gravitate towards a book, right? You'd go from your your heavy hitters, right? You're, you're like instead of like reading, I'm reading Captain America or I'm reading X-Men, now I'm I'm reading I wanna I wanna see what Todd McFarlane is doing. I want to see what Jim Lee is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so and and that's an interesting in because you're almost giving the stories to a certain extent a pass because i want i like that artist and you know where it's like you know it's like the these guys come into a point where you know at that time that 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 big push in pop culture where it's going up and 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 you know comics are going all over the place and they're printing them all over and now you've got cards and things like that and now it's like yeah i'm seeing this particular style i want i want, I want to follow this guy and it's almost like now where you know, someone might be collecting your, like, I might not be interested in a particular card set, but if I know an artist is in it, mm-hmm. that's a bit of a draw to get me over there going, oh, wow, uh, you know, I've got, you know, and, and and once you start knowing and using social media to kind of get your yourself out there, you know, now you're not just a name or not just a random poll. You're like, oh, wow now I've got this catalog of stuff and I'm going to be in the set. I'm excited because I know these people are in this set. Even if I like wasn't necessarily interested in, in the set to begin with, I might go, Ooh, I might just want to grab some of that. However I get them, whether I get them off, you know, buy them direct, buy them off secondary market, because I would like to pull a X card or I would like to have a piece of that art. Because clearly when you see, if you're trying to do commission work, you know, someone like a someone like carlos someone like chris penix or you know some of these guys boy i don't think i could afford them but boy if i got pulled him out of a pack i'd be on in you know seventh heaven
1: i tried a neil adams and i gave up <laughs> i ended up buying like one of his sketchbooks and have him sign it <laughs> that's all it was just it was i even asked like i collect sketch cards so i, I asked him for a sketch card and, and when he told me the price like that's that's what I made in the last you know couple of days just working here. I, I can't I can't do that you know it's like you know but and but someone like that you know even then you are like oh maybe I should you know maybe I should <laughs> you know Neil it's not too often that you run Look, like I said that to the first time ran into Neil Adams the first time I'm like I'm never gonna see this guy again I should I should the next four shows he was in the same show with me.
0: <laughs> well that's you know i remember um and even i, I don't whether it was this c2e2 or last year mm-hmm. and i want to say you had chris claremont <laughs> and you had arthur at was it arthur adams i mean there, or, it was one where yeah. you had like a combination of artists and you're going and there may be a row apart and of course they had the biggest lines but then you're kind of going you know, you see these names growing up and sometimes like, you know, later on you kind of go, Oh wow, that's so-and-so or like, you know, Ronnie Roberts will talk about meeting Jim Lee and you and you go, even this year. And I, I, like I said, now the names are escaping me. As soon as I want to reach for them, they're right there. That's a problem growing old, but you kind of go, Oh my gosh, I've had this comic of you or I remember this story and you know, and then you go, Oh my gosh, I'm meeting the person that, that drew it. And it was amazing. I had, I had someone sign one of my star Wars comics earlier this year uh, Bob, somebody now, Bob McCloud, Yes. Bob McLeod. yes, uh, And you're just like, you just have to take your head off for a moment. Cause you're going, Oh my gosh. And then, you know, they'll tell you a story about it. And then you find out and you're just like, and then you're right. Then, then they might be at the same convention next year. And you're going, this is the last time i like, Oh, there's again. And then this time they might go, uh, you know, oh yeah, um, but yeah, Neil Adams would have been, would, uh, would, would have been an amazing, uh, get, but, um, one thing that you kind of mentioned you were like, you're, about the attention span is, is something I, maybe I'm picking up in the Instagram feed where I'm seeing you're taking the style, but you're really attacking all these different characters. I think one of the things that I love about your Instagram page is that I'm seeing people from friends. I'm seeing, it's like, you're picking up and you're going, you know what, let's try this person. Can you talk about that particular, st- can you describe that style for me? It's, it's basically a black and white. It's, it's kind of a, Kind of you. a can, can you walk me through that i've been dying to ask you this
1: oh so my my method of, like photoshop is the the way i do this so i take an image i go to photoshop and i separate the values of gray okay so i get and then i and they're offsuit every other number so let's say if, if i have my copic markers here i have a one i have a two And I have a four. These are the three that I work with the most for my cards. And in Photoshop, I offsuit it to get close to these values of gray in my Photoshop. So what I used to do is I used to spray paint these. I'd buy the three values of gray and spray paint, and I would cut the image for each layer so I could spray paint them. That's what graffiti artists normally do. I wasn't a graffiti artist. I never did it on a wall, but I always did it on a canvas, right? Hmm. I got tired of cutting it, and lo and behold, after I stopped cutting this paper and I figured out how to draw it, all of a sudden the cricket comes out, and, and and now I can spray paint them all over because I don't have to cut them anymore. But uh, I, I I was drawing one day, and I actually did it with pencil first, and I separated the values with a pencil. I'm like, I wonder if, this would, if there was a marker or a paint that I could just do it on a card or on something big. And that's when I got into Copics at that point. And then I realized that it, it, it actually looks like a graphic the way I'm, I'm drawing it. So if I can stop paint, spray painting it, and, and I have a few that I still spray paint just so I can, you know, switch it up a little bit. But if I can stop that, I could work, knock out triple the amount of work in one week than I would if I were to cut every layer out. And then... So the, the idea was I, I did this in school uh, I had done a lesson with kids with graffiti art and the kids were asking me hey can what do you do and then I started I didn't want to cut everything and show them so I started drawing it in front of them like that's different I've never seen that before and then I'm as I'm doing I'm like ooh wait a minute this might work and, then, and then it was it was a happy accident honestly um, I didn't think it was gonna work with markers um, then all of a sudden I tried with gouache. And then I tried it with, with watercolors and it, it just, it naturally works because Photoshop does a great job in separating the values of, of from light to dark on a person. Um, so w- when you figure out how to do like stencil layers on Photoshop, which I learned through YouTube young, when I was younger, uh, it, it just it just naturally progressed to that. And then I've been doing it on cards ever since and hopefully it pick up as a distinctive style. Now you mentioned the different people that I draw. Uh, it's basically, I would take family members, people that I know, practice with them, sell those, and then it's basically a lot of what I draw is nostalgia, the things that I grew up loving. Now, we're doing Rocktober now, um, so I, I find a prompt, and then uh, this one was done by a great artist, Tom Hodges, who's a great Star Wars artist within in his own right. This guy's fantastic, and he wrote, put this prompt out, and I said, Ooh, can I be a part of this? He said, as long as you tag me and you tag the right things, and yeah, you could do it. So now I'm doing rock stars. So it's like, you know, like, and and I'm enjoying it because it's something different. It's great to do comics all the time, but then in movies. But sometimes you want to get to people, you know, just, you know, and find the right likeness of the people, and then see how it goes with Photoshop. See if the layers like that's that's my struggle is finding the right image to to find the lightness and darkness of the actual person to separate the values. And that's what takes, that actually takes longer for me than to actually draw the card. So if you want to know the exact exact time, how long it takes for me to draw one of these cards, it's about 15 to 25 minutes (sighs) per card. And I, and someone actually posted in a tops on a tops page and Facebook this morning. Hey, what's the record for most cards done, you know, in a day. And someone actually wrote 45. I was like, oh, that, that beat me. I was I was at 25 at one point in the day. And and that was like literally working morning to evening and just knocking them out, trying to meet a dead. And um, today I finished on the set that I'm working on now. I finished inking all my cards today. So I penciled them first. So what I do is I, I when I draw it, I do one card fully by itself so i can feel what how the card stock is with the markers and the watercolors testing it out you know because if i make a mistake on one card it's better than one card than mm-hmm. 30 cards and then i like it then i start just penciling everything once i have all my you know references set and once i get in that mode i'm i'm knocking out you know about six cards seven cards a day uh on a good day um I did try to you know go for that record once. It was just too much, but uh, yeah, there 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 are artists out there that can knock out so many in a day, and I'm I feel like I'm one of those that could knock out you know six to seven in a day, so I can meet deadlines. My my goal is if I make the deadline within a week's time, they're gonna keep asking me for work. That's that's what it's about deadline, and I teach that to my students too. If you don't meet your deadlines, it's just like you're they, see the difference between you and me is that I get paid. Your deadline, your payments, your grade. If you learn that now, it's gonna be easier for me deadlines in the future. And and that's a, that's I feel like it's an important life lesson for my students to to you know, make sure you meet your deadlines to make sure you keep your promises. That's that's the whole point. And if I give them tops, you know, like oh, it's due on the second, oh I wanna get it in there by the twenty fifth. You know. <laughs> and in their hands by the twenty fifth, they're gonna be like, crap, this guy is all right, what, what other set can we give this guy? You know, and I I don't want to beat out another artist to a job, but yeah, I do. <laughs> you know, like I respect all the, these other artists, but I I feel like this is actually helping me, you know, to build a following that people are are trusting my speed and my work, the the quality. I, I'm all about the value of the card. So if someone's gonna pay me thirty dollars for a card, I'm gonna give them thirty dollars worth or more on that card. That's my goal. Um, because I don't want to be one of those artists that, that, you know, that they, they get a send, like, Ooh, well, he's good, but I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I, just, I don't want, I don't want my name to be devalued in that aspect. I want to be reliable.
0: Going back to, as I was kind of looking over the, the Rocktober, um, I still have to fall <laughs> back on, eh, not Star Wars, but the Aretha Franklin no, off, th- off the hook.
1: Yeah, You liked it? Oh, I, I was going to say, like, I was actually, I love the list, but there's some people I don't feel like would count as rock stars. I was like, well, oh, why not Prince? Why not Jimi Hendrix? You know, so I was looking at that and I was like, oh. But then I saw, it, it's a nice little separation. Aretha Franklin's nice, a lot of hits, and, and the values that I can get out of her references is fantastic. Uh, I just finished the Stevie Wonder this morning, uh, or nice yesterday morning. So.
0: I saw that Stevie is fantastic. And I think the thing that I like, and especially in those two, because they're both smiling and Mm -hmm. I think you really capture the joy, especially, uh, you know, in in their smiles, in her, in her eyes, you really capture it. Uh, And you can really get a sense of the time because Aretha has such a long, both of them have such a long catalog, but you really capture a time and yes, you're like I said you're like you said, the, the styles that you did, um the Janice Joplin also, how it's mm-hmm. offset and mm-hmm. you kind of capture this sort of it's it's a slight, you know, whimsical, but also, you know, she seems very f- like focused or interested in whatever she's looking at. Um there's an intensity on Bowie. Um mm-hmm. and you really can't go wrong with Bowie. Uh yeah, it's sort of like you, you know you but um
1: it's it just the, and- janice was hard because there's not a lot of references with her you know so i wanted to make sure that whatever i chose for the image that that it was something that that people are going to try to remember you know you know and especially with the likeness of her face i wanted it sometimes i go really close up so that you can really see the features of their face and then sometimes i pull back so you can get everything else and take it in um it's all it depends on my on my mood and the day, I guess. Um, sometimes if I if I um, if I feel like I I'm not so stressed out and I got time, I I, I I kind of like look through my references a lot more and then looking for that specific thing that catches my eye. Uh, if I'm kind of quick and speedy, um, like the ones that with the groups, I mean they're great to look at, like the Beatles, the um, I think I did the who as well and all those, like they're great and they're fun. Oh, and, and, uh, Rolling Stones uh, and Black Sabbath, uh, they're great, but there's so many, <laughs> like I, I could have knocked out like six or seven sketch cards and it, that, that one took me about almost the same amount as like six or seven sketch, because it's a bigger card stock that I'm working with and it, it's larger and I'm using a lot more ink. So it those take longer for me because there's there's four in one uh, shot whereas stevie um that was about a 20 minute 30 minute you know sketch and i and i really wanted to capture that he always does this thing where when he sings he's he's always looking up and his mouth is always open and he's you know always swaying side to side so i wanted to capture that jawline going up and that's that's the only way i see stevie in my mind um I really wanted to make Ozzy Osbourne uh, look youthful. I really wanted to find a youthful look to Ozzy Osbourne because that when when his Black Sabbath started out, uh, when I read about it, because I still read about these things, and there's so much lo- life and so much energy, and I wanted to portray that with the group. Um, I mean, they're technically the first, in my mind, the first hard rock band that, that kind of gave you that gothic style was, was that band. So I yeah. wanted to get the blacks in there and making sure that it's all in there. I try to stay away from logos. I didn't want to tarnish the image with logos either. So I, got, I could have put the black out with logo. And then every time I try that idea, it's just it makes the image look bad to me.
0: I, I have to think with these, you know, I think less is more. And I think yeah. the more you put into it, I think you don't get as much. Whereas I do think with, with uh with Stevie, yeah. Like I said, I, I the simplicity of the of just the the colors that you're, you know, the, the grays that you're working with, you know, and and if you're getting it, you know, once you kind of get you know the eyes and some of that, the rest of it is really gravy at that point. Yeah. Um, uh, the Elvis so, also very
1: nice. Eyes are the hardest because you, it makes or breaks. It makes or breaks. It, it's one of those things that. The hardest person to draw, and I kid you not, I've been struggling with this girl for the longest time, Natalie Portman. She's the hardest person for me to draw, and the reason why is because she has the every woman face. If you mess up on an eyebrow, because she has straight eyebrows, if you mess up on her eyebrows, it doesn't look like her. If you mess up on her eyes, it doesn't look like her. Her jawline, there's all so distinguished features on Natalie Portman. I, I struggle with her the most. So I try not to do as much uh, Padme's for the Star Wars sets. So if you see a Padme in in those sets from me, then that's one of the rare ones that I draw because I, I try to stay away from her as much as possible because I can't seem to get her right. Even with the best reference photos, it's just one little offline it takes so much um and i'm also working through my phone too so i'm drawing i'm looking at my phone and then i'm drawing them like i do the grid method on the cards and, and that takes a little time but uh even with the grid method i still can't get her i have one here and it it hurts because she's so hard to draw um i think i can sh- i could show this one because. Everyone knows Master Witch is coming anyways. Um, just to get her
0: mm. to look
1: at her. And I'm still not happy with it. It's, it's one of those things like, I think I got her chin and I think I got her eyes. And, you know, like it's her straight eyebrows, you know, like it's, it's what makes her her. You know, you want to make sure you get it right. And she's the hardest. Luke, the easiest. Mark Hamill is just... I could draw him with a different size nose, and he'll still look like Mark Hamill, no matter what. Uh, his hair, his, the way his hair flows, all that—it's just—it's it, one of those things that I, my kids see me draw Natalie Portman, <laughs> like, and I'm practicing because I'm i practice sometimes when I know it's a tough character to draw. I practice, and they're they're my best critics, Mister Irwin. No, no, that's that doesn't look like. <laughs>
0: Well, who, who, um, who? Then you know, Luke is easy. Padme is hard. But who do you Padme, love drawing? Uh, it, it, with Star Wars, yeah,
1: uh, it, it's Ray. Ray's right now. Um, there's every photo that I've seen of her is just like an iconic pose. Like no matter what she does, like she's always like serious, and the, and the eyes are intense. So I could I could easily say the Mandalorian as well. Or any guy wearing a Mandalorian outfit because they're fun to draw but but uh Rey's right now the the number one for me because it's, it's it's every image of that I draw of her is so intense and you see the emotion that she conveys and, and to me that's a testament of her acting I mean I, I mean she might not be the greatest actress in the world but with the what she got with the Star Wars I mean she, she I think she knocked it out of the park for her character with depending on how you feel of, with the new trilogy or not, you know, it's, I, I'm not a big fan of the new trilogy, but I like her in it. And I like, um, you know, the original cast that came in and reprised the roles. So, uh, yeah, she's, she's my favorite. I right know, um, Han Solo was great at one point. Uh, I like drawing old Han. I like it. It's fun. Um, he, he, he has this, this, uh, aesthetic to his demeanor that that he is the tough guy no matter what maybe even out of camera he's like that too <laughs> you know so he's fun to draw too
0: well that speaking of which you know since you kind of grew up in the 90s that probably puts you where does that put you for the prequels does that kind of is that is that your star wars
1: i'm gonna be honest the first two the only thing i liked about the second one was when yoda started fighting dooku Even though that was completely CG, I thought that was, you know, that was the only experience I got from Star Wars where everyone got out of their feet, out of their seat, you know. Yoda's fighting, you know, like everyone. Revenge of the Sith is one of my favorites. Uh, That 15, 20 minute long lightsaber battle between the two was just, I mean, perfectly choreographed. They even mentioned that's their speed, that they didn't augment the speed of their swinging. And also, Sith, as a whole, the story probably not. The original trilogy is is to me the best. Um, I think it's because there there is an actual story that that it all fit fit together. You know, it, it just it, it made sense. It it, it, meld, it it ended well, and the 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 second trilogy uh, or the prequels they uh, the ending was great. Except for the "date or no" sequence, <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, that the Re- "Revenge of the Sith" was a good one. The new ones, <sighs> the new ones were great to get new fans. That's all I can say with that. They're great to get new fans. It. I felt like they could have done better. I think that if they would have had Dave Filoni as heading Mar- uh, uh, Star Wars, I think we would have seen a different Star Wars. If they had Dave Filoni, Dave Filoni is the reason why. The Clone Wars were fantastic. And he's also one of the reasons why with him and um, the guy who directed Iron Man, uh, John Farrow, is fantastic as well. So the, he only he's only done a few things, two to three things, and they're better than the last trilogy in my mind. Uh, but people do love it, and I respect them for loving it, and you know, they, it keeps the, the line going. You know, Um and then everything that you get out of it, you know, like Galaxy's Edge and things like that, you know, it's just, when you step in that place, I don't know if you've been there yet, it's, whew, whew. I, I wanted to stay the whole week just there.
0: <laughs> what do you got, um
1: do? That place got my kids liking Star Wars. It wasn't the movies, it was the location that my, my daughter got to pilot the Millennium Falcon. And she's like, daddy, let's do that again, I love it. And then I'm like, there's the movie we could watch. it like, really? <laughs> <laughs> no more frozen. All right,
0: that's awesome. How long does it take to get you to get uh from the Naples area to Orlando? About an hour, three and a half hours. Yeah, uh,
1: to get from from let's say if you're in Miami to Orlando, you probably get there in two and a half hours because it's closer to the other side of the state. It's, it's not right in the middle. Everyone thinks it's right in the middle of the state. It's kind of leaning more closer towards the, the, the east. Me, I have to go up north and then try to find a middle road to, to split between 75 to I-4. Um, so if I take 75 to I-4, it'll take close to four hours, whereas if I take uh, go up the middle of the state, it'll take me about three and a half. It's actually a nice drive, though. Uh, Florida's big, so it takes eight hours to get out of here <laughs> driving. So unless you're going through Tallahassee and heading west, it takes longer that way but um it's it's uh, it's not bad especially when it's something new for the kids to see and new for the family to see at the same time it's it's a nice long enough getaway but not too far where it's just going to be a pain in the butt
0: oh that's true now how many times have you been to galaxy's edge i've only been there once because
1: the the reason why is because covid hit in march we were actually there the week the weekend they decided to close down disney so that Friday, that Friday we were uh what park were? We? we were in we were in Galaxy's Edge that Friday. That was the last park. We were supposed to stay till Saturday and make a, a family day and go to downtown Disney or Disney Springs. But that Saturday morning, that's when they said we're shutting everything down Monday. Uh if they're shutting everything down, even though we have an extra day, I said my wife's like we need to go, you know, for safety reasons. And then Disney was great giving us our refund for the the day, you know, and we didn't have any tickets, so we didn't have to worry about that. So we just went straight home. And but, but I did enjoy the time we were in Galaxy. It took so long because the we Floridians know that when something new pops up in Disney or in, or in Universal, don't go. Everyone wants to go. Don't go. So we wait a year. <laughs> the, the ones that actually do go, we sometimes wait a year unless you live in the Orlando region. If you live in the Orlando region and you have the year-round passes, you know, I have friends that do that and they, they – They go anytime they want. They go during the weekdays if they want to. Us, you know, since it's a three and a half hour drive, we wait till it kind of dies down and then we go. So I still haven't written, when we got there, I tried to do that lottery system to get into uh, the, the new ride that opened up, I think it was last, last February, which is the resistance. So that was almost impossible. I hate the lottery system. (laughs) You, you could be, we were there, I kid you not, like five in the morning waiting in that long line. Then the park opened up an hour early. We get in about eight, still had to wait till nine o'clock when the park opened to do the lottery. So, and they don't and they only have maybe one or two coffee shops open and you're still like waiting. But uh, once, once it dies down a little bit, I'll, I'll, I can't wait to ride that ride. Um, Fal- the Millennium Falcon was fantastic. Uh, even the blue milk, I loved it. My kids drank it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I made a few lightsabers. I, I, I tinker, so I also make a few props as well. And uh, so seeing them, their Disney licensed pieces, and, and, you know, the actual Star Wars lightsabers, you know, makes you want to buy one, but, you know, it's just, it's just nice to see it. Like, you, you, you feel like you're part of it. They, they, they're not making it like a gimmick. It's more like, I mean, the guy was, some lady was t- picking up the trash can in a costume, and she was still in character. Oh, yeah, I've, that just changed it for me. That, and once they make the hotel, oh, man. Once they make that hotel, it's going to be a, a, a new experience there. I think it's going to be very expensive, but, you know, I can't wait for people to start putting photos and videos about that because that's going to look fantastic.
0: What are some of the shows you're looking forward to the most uh, coming up and maybe even from a artistic perspective of, of characters to maybe attack? Ghostbusters.
1: I'm 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 am a big Ghostbuster I'm I'm actually bigger Ghostbuster fan and Power Ranger fan than I am of Marvel. This is I wanna I'm a nineties kid, eighties kid. Power Rangers were a cheesy show, but I loved every second of it. The original three seasons. Um and so if I ever get a Power Ranger gig, I'm in it. Um a Ghostbuster gig, I'm in it. Cryptozoic actually had a run of sketch cards with Ghostbusters a few years back. Um, and this was before I started and I'm was hoping and praying that they would do it again. So I'm hoping that if uh, the afterlife, once it comes out in March, that they're going to do a set for that. And I'm, I'm I am already sent them a message, already. Right? Please, please. I want this one. I will not let you down.
0: <laughs> what about star Wars? What are you kind of looking forward to coming up?
1: Uh, Mandalorian. Uh, it's a couple weeks now. So Mandalorian. Um, I think that's, I heard that there are, Probably gonna do like a few like offshoot side side stories, but I don't until until I know more about it. I, I'm not gonna get excited until I see trailers or things. I the Mandalorian. I was actually hesitant because the Solo was a good decent movie for someone that never seen Star Wars, but for someone that's seen Star Wars, or, I did not like Solo.
0: Mm.
1: So it, um I like the actors. The actors are fantastic. Um. I, I, you know, having the Queen of the Dragons to be in that movie was fantastic. Uh, but um, I didn't like that movie. I didn't like the direction. Um, so I was hoping that if Mandalorian went that direction, I probably wouldn't have liked it. But it was, it blew my mind. That was, that's a fantastic show. And so if, if the next stuff that comes out is going to be like that, then yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. But there's really nothing out there right now that's... Um, yeah, I think the COVID crisis just put a halt to everything. So it's it, until we get you know more news, probably in twenty twenty one. You know, I'm not I'm not really that excited except for Ghostbusters right now. Well, let's <laughs> just say it might be a bad movie, like it, it, But I feel like it's in good hands. The son, I, Ivan Reitman's son, Jason, is the, the director. Uh, they're actually staying within the timeline. I actually like the girl movie. I actually did like it. Um, uh, a lot of people will hate my guts for saying that I did like it because I'm a fan of the, of those comedians. Those women are fantastic. So, you know, whether you love them or hate them, you know, there's some mean fan people out there. Um, but I actually loved it. You know, you know I watch it with the kids. The kids love it too. And especially my girls who they get to look up to, you know, women fighting ghosts, you know, you know, frozen, you know, I, Disney's been doing good. You know, Sony did good with that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a shame that they're not going to have their next movie because of the fan backlash. But uh, Bill and Ted was fantastic. <laughs> and maybe it's because it's the only new thing that came out in a while. But the Bill and Ted third movie, I actually liked it. Um, it was decent. It was funny enough. It was it felt like a Bill and Ted movie. So that was good. Uh, I did uh, something for Bill and Ted. Um, I entered in their poster contest. So that was fun. So I got I got to do a nine by twelve and do something different. Um, so it's again hitting the nostalgia. I like I like drawing things that I loved growing up watching. You know, every now and then I'll start practicing doing figure drawings and um, ink drawings and things like that. Washes uh, work with values. Uh, things that I learned in college. You know, you know they they they, they show us videos mostly of people doing different techniques. <laughs> and then we'll get the occasional person just standing there. All right, draw them now. <laughs> Do you like the... Is there anything you're looking forward to? Like, are are you looking forward to uh, anything Star Wars coming up?
0: I would have to say that the... You know, I think the Mandalorian really did... You know, it came in with almost no expectations and really knocked it out of the park, and I think that there was... There was a little something in that everybody in the family got on, and I that's what I liked about it. I liked where you know, people didn't necessarily have to know the whole thing or, you know, the backstory of everything, but they could pick up on it. And I think it had a good story and and throughput. And, you know, at the end, you know, like I said, it was really like, this is amazing what you can do. Uh, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm only concerned because, you know, I think there's so many more expectations for the second, for the second season. And I think people, much like everything else, they'll start putting, they'll start kind of hanging their coats on this coat rack and, you know, it's kind of maybe buries what they're trying to do. And, but I, I do have to agree with you that I think that, you know, I think Dave Filoni and John Favreau can, can tell a story. And, you know, I think all you have to do is watch that one gallery episode where in about two minutes, it's the one the famous, that bit where Filoni basically just drops this, the whole, the whole prequels thing on you. (laughs) And everybody's like, Oh wow! I had no idea. Like you're just like all right. Sensei just basically just just racked my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll that, be interesting.
1: That loves the, the the material. Should be a big head of the actual material. That that that's all. I I mean, I don't know much about um, George Lucas's uh, appointee. Uh, I forget her name. Uh,
0: <laughs> oh, Kathleen she, Kennedy.
1: Kathleen Kennedy. I mean, I I obviously she's a big producer and she's done a lot of things. Um, But, you know, I, I, I'm I not going to hate her for it. You know, she's doing the best with what she can. And, but if you have someone like Dave that just absolutely loves it and it can actually create stories that would make sense for the universe, that's the one that should head, head the whole thing.
0: Well, and it's also interesting that, you know, even though you had different directors, you did have a throughput. So I think you had a vision, but you had different points of view and, and, you know, and there was a diversity of thought on it that I think really, you know, I I think they got a really good product and, and, you know, it's, it's tough when you, you go from having someone with a solo vision, even if they have other people help to having it, you hate say by committee, but you know, it's, it's a lot different than just George pushing, you know, Mm -hmm. through sheer will of force, Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, you know, as, as someone that's a little older and you go, it's still Star Wars to me. Whether or not they succeeded. I, I, I was just watching the um, the original Boba Fett cartoon from the holiday special. It, it, some, it came up uh, because the Talking Bay 94 fella, uh, the podcast, talked to the animator. And I hadn't seen it. Well, I went back and I'm like, that really holds up. And, you know, it's a very distinctive. They were looking for a very distinctive you know, art style, they're looking for that heavy metal magazine type art style and the animation was very was was very fluid and you kinda of go back going and then you kinda of forget going, Oh yeah, that's right, they had the voices and so you're like, this is really this was a nice solid little piece of legends and, and you get you know, and then you see, you know, when you go back to the Mandalorian, you go face you know, fast forward back to the Mandalorian where they pick up the rifle and they pick up these little bits where the average person, it doesn't get in their way, or they don't have to know that that weapon's there. But you go, so it's it, you just give this something for everybody, and so that's where you know you would hope that you know maybe maybe Star Wars is TV now. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. Star Wars now, um, but you know, I, I think when they do films again, you know, I, I always want to see like I just recently saw Empire Strikes Back, they released it in a theater again, I took my daughter. <laughs> And it was amazing to see. And there's still details I was missing. I've seen this movie, you know, dozens of times. And you go, oh, okay, because I'm watching it on a big screen, you can, oh, okay, there's that. And there's that droid there. And you're just going. And so you're still getting stuff out of it. So still, Star Wars is still a big screen experience. But the story has just as much to do with it as the the, the laser swords and the things blowing up. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's fun to get to introduce your children to it. And, you know, they'll grow up either liking it or not, you know, you can yeah. give it to them, you can give them the toys, you can do all the stuff. And, and if they pick up on something and go with it, it's great. You know, it's like, you know, if, if, you know, if your daughters, Hey, it's just, Oh, I got to pilot, the Falcon this is great. There's a movie to it. Even better. Um, mm-hmm. That's all you can really hope for something that I can go. You know, I, I came back from five below. I went to five below and, and cause of all the toys and I brought her back some socks. I'm like, you know, like socks are too small for me, but, I can enjoy them and you can wear them and enjoy them. So it's sort of like (laughs) Daniel, where can people find you online if they want to reach out uh, or maybe do a commission?
1: So at Dan sketch art is my Instagram and Facebook handle. That's the best way to get in touch with me. I I do answer my DMS there and I will talk to you pricing wise and what it is exactly that you want me to draw and, I communicate very well with that. I, I, I. That's pretty much the only place I do have an Etsy page, but there it's, uh, it's only two things up there. It's basically like custom commissions. So it's either an eight by eight and a half by eleven or nine by twelve, down to a sketch card. So two by three uh, and a half, and uh, you can get me through there as well. But the, I've gotten the most uh, DMs through Instagram right now.
0: Excellent. Well it's been a pleasure talking to you and you know I like I said I wish you all the best it was I once once again um that's one of the nice things about Instagram is that you know with artists you can really you can really see your stuff you can really keep out there and you keep connection with the, with fans and with the community just like in in some of the other groups so once again just appreciate you being on
1: No I really appreciate you uh, this has been fun fantastic um I'm honored to be in this podcast so I really I really would like to thank you for having me be part of it.
0: Can I offer you a libation to celebrate the closing of our shared narrative? Once again, my thanks to Daniel for being on the program tonight. It was an absolute treat to get a chance to talk with him and find out more about his work. I really hope you enjoyed tonight's show. And if you have any feedback for the episode, you can reach out to the program in a number of ways. You can leave a comment on the Instagram post for this episode, or you can DM me on Instagram at @rubblebasecard. You can also find me on Twitter and Facebook at RebelBaseCard or email the program, greg at rebelbasecard.com. You can find the show notes for this and all episodes on the website, rebelbasecard.com. In the Star Wars card trader app and, well, just about any other app, it's cornfedtech. I use the hashtag CardSquadron Squadron, not only for a way to put out the words on cool cards and card collecting, but as a way hopefully to bring the community a little closer together. We collect, communicate, and commiserate when we run out of credits and crystals to spend in the app. Join in on the fun. Plus, well, all the other cool squadrons were already taken by Star Wars squadrons. Yep, I'm playing too. We collect as one and would be honored if you would join us. And if you were a sketch card artist or Star Wars artist or collector, cosplayer, and want to talk about your work, your craft, your passion, please drop me a line and maybe we can work something out. I'd love to get a chance to hear your story. You can also help out the program by leaving a comment and review on iTunes or wherever you get this podcast from. Otherwise, I implore you, keep those cards out of the hands of the Empire, and I'll talk to you soon. The music for this podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons license from Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. This is Discipline off the album The Slip. This podcast is not affiliated in any way with Topps, Disney, or Star Wars nor is it endorsed by Disney or Lucasfilm and is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds and any other related items are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders here in the U.S. and abroad. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com.